Hello and welcome to another lockdown edition of Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast with me, Simon Walters, Assistant Editor of the Daily Mail, back in the office for the first time in six weeks. And me, Amanda Platel, still locked up, locked down in North London. Coming up, former Home Secretary Amber Rudd on Boris Johnson's latest trouble with women. And she means the women in his cabinet uh, before you get the wrong idea. He has around him often, and he always had it in the House of Commons too, groups of men who think that he is fantastic. And they give him that sort of devotion that I just don't think women do. And Lord Chancellor Robert Buckland says teaching unions should not be allowed to stop schools reopening next month. I think rather than creating obstacles, I think it's important that we all work together in a can-do spirit here. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify, or leave us a review. And email us at any time at orderorder at mailplus.co.uk. What's it like being back in the office, Simon? Well, it's pretty, um, it's pretty weird, actually, because it's a huge office. As you know, there's a thousand or more journos here, and there's just six or seven of us. So um, we've got a vast amount of space, and we're, we're wearing a, a different array of masks when we come into contact with each other. And I actually ended up having to cut up four expensive pairs of Italian socks before I managed to get one right. <laughs> Are you sure you did socks and not your undies? Well, the, the, the undies were too big, of course. <laughs> well, Amanda, the issue of this week has to be schools, doesn't it? They're due to come back in about 10 or 11 days' time at some classes, primary schools. But there's been a pretty fierce debate about this, and the, the teachers' unions um, are leading opposition to it, saying it's not safe to mark homework, which seems a bit far-fetched. demanding various other reassurances. Um, The government's sticking to its line. Who's got it right here, Amanda? Well, I think the line is starting to crumble a little bit. You have to be a blind man not to see that that there's a huge union political momentum going on here to thwart the government. But then there are also conservative councils who are saying, we're just not ready. I think it was, we just keep getting all these mixed messages from the government. Clearly, they haven't harnessed the support of the teachers, unions and, um, you know, the teaching body. And they kind of bounced them into it, a bit like they bounced us into saying, right, you no longer have to stay home, you just have to stay alert. But maybe that was the reason to do it, Simon. Maybe it was just so that they think, okay, you, you buggers who are all on full pay with all your pension benefits. Every teacher is on full pay, right, whether they're working or not. Maybe it was just his way of saying, right, I want you back at work. I want mm. the country running. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been in touch with one or two schools and um, I've done some voluntary teaching over the years at a, at a couple of schools, at a, a special needs school, particularly in Essex, in Marketfield near Colchester. And I was talking to the headmaster there, Gary Smith, and he was saying, as far as they're concerned, they've never closed. He's got about 40 kids there, which is about one in 10. And he said they're coping okay. It's quite difficult, but he did say that it's social distancing is, is pretty difficult to enforce in schools, it's particularly with kids, you know, from five to 16. But I think they're going to manage it. And of course, don't forget that schools all around Europe have been opening with precautions, the scientific advice is that kids don't get it or spread it so i think they've got to get on with it and they've got to knuckle down and and try to do it as soon as they can safely yes but sooner rather than later 
No, I totally agree. And it's interesting, the kind of break, like the academies are much more, um, they're much more forthright in saying, right, we are determined to educate our kids. And part of that is because the academies actually educate um, some of the poorest, most disadvantaged kids. And they know that a child who's living in a council block and doesn't have Wi-Fi and all the rest of it, they're actually losing like a year of their education. They haven't got mummy and daddy at home, you know, providing tutors and self-educating them. So I think it's really, really important. And, and I, quite frankly, I don't care if, if these kids don't want to come back, so long as there are places for the kids who really, really need it. Mm. Well, we'll see on June the 1st whether it's schools in or schools out. And there might or might not be a clue to our topical tune there. <laughs> no summary of the week's events would be complete without a word from this man. But before you laugh, could he actually be right? The frontline workers, many, many are taking it. I happen to be taking it. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. When? Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it. It's been around for 40 years for malaria, for lupus, for other things. I take it. Frontline workers take it. A lot of doctors take it. Excuse me. A lot of doctors take it. I take it. Well, we did all have a great laugh when Donald Trump said he was taking hydroxychloroquine, as I'm sure you can say that frontwards and backwards, Amanda, the, the anti-malaria pill. I mean, it's the latest of some hilarious statements by the president on these things. But is it just possible he might have the last laugh? Because there is a report that the UK government has ordered 35 million quids worth of these pills, 16 million tablets of these anti-malaria pills, just on the off chance that they do work. So could it be the case that what Donald Trump is doing today, <laughs> we're all doing tomorrow? Who knows? No, I think, it. look, um, we, our mutual friend, uh, Andrew Pierce, uh, my Corona buddy, um, my Corona plus one uh, for walks on the heath, he, when he got the virus, I know you've had it, Simon, but you didn't get this treatment, but uh, I know that Andrew took the malaria drug he came through it and there are a lot of serious doctors who think it's the right thing. But again, what you unfortunately find is that the private sector is adventurous, more confident of the science than the public sector is. Because, you know, politicians and the medical guys, they're just terrified of doing the wrong thing at the moment, aren't they? But it's good that they're thinking, okay, let's buy all this, these malaria drugs. And then if we don't use them now, we can use them for people when they start going back to Bali. I think we just wait for the correct medical advice before we advise our listeners to do anything <laughs> in front of Donald Trump. <laughs> Amber Rudd is famous for being the Tory minister who said she wouldn't trust Boris Johnson in a taxi ride home. The former Home Secretary says Johnson now has a problem with women in his cabinet. There aren't enough of them in the top jobs, she says. Amber says Boris much prefers giving jobs to the boys because they don't talk back to him unlike Amber. Amber, people have said that one of the features of this government's campaign with coronavirus is the remarkable absence of women in the sort of the frontline team. What's going on there? What do you make of it? I think it's very disappointing. And I think they're making uh, a mistake, basically. I mean, the, the facts are clear, which is that diversity, which means, you know, people of different genders, people of different backgrounds, perhaps 
uh, BME people leads to better decision making. If you just have one homogenous group, you're going to have what we all call group think. And this government at the top seems to have all men. And I think they're losing out. And I don't think it's about, some people say, oh, well, Amber, you mustn't always go on about the, the optics or tokenism. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about good decision-making. And there are umpteen studies which will show you that good decision-making requires diversity. And that means including women. And they are not including women at the top. And I think they are losing out because of it. And what, do you, what is it with Boris with women? Do you, do you think that there's, um, because he hasn't got women in many senior positions, do, do you think there's an issue surrounding him? Well, I've thought about it a lot because I, I do know Boris quite well and I worked with him effectively for two years when I was Home Secretary and he was Foreign Secretary. And there was, you know, no issue. We worked very well together on some, you know, key, key dramatic things that were happening to the country over the 2017 year of terrorism and on the Skripal poisoning. So I, as somebody who worked closely with him, I didn't have any particular sexist experience or anything, but I think there is a cultural issue uh, with many men, and I think he is part of that, where they are more comfortable with other men. They are more comfortable with other men, particularly in terms of a sort of camaraderie that breeds trust and loyalty. And he has around him often, and he always had it in the House of Commons too, groups of men who think that he is fantastic. And they give him that sort of devotion that I just don't think women do. Yeah. And do you think, because at the last cabinet reshuffle, the, the, the two women that were removed, um, Esther McVeigh and Andrew Leadsom, actually, they're, they're, they're noted, actually, for being quite outspoken, strong personalities. Yes. Do you think that may yeah. be why you removed them? Yes, I do. And I think it's the same, I mean, for instance, with Caroline Noakes, who was removed in the summer reshuffle when Boris first came in. Um, you know, women who have strong opinions, who have been able and successful, I would say, as cabinet ministers, but have not shown the sort of devotion. And I think there's another point here, which is culturally, particularly in the Conservative Party, the men who become MPs are often, not always, but are often, have been thinking about this for all their lives. Their family have been involved in politics politics, it's kind of the culmination of something that they are, some might say entitled, but certainly at the very least, an ambition they have honed and is part of their establishment. While with the women, like myself and other women I know well who have been in politics, particularly as I say in the Conservative Party, you're a bit of a rebel becoming a Member of Parliament. It wasn't really uh, the plan your family had for you or you had for yourself. The, the, plan, the, plan, the plan they would have had for you in the old days would have been for you to be the wife of a male Conservative MP. <laughs> indeed, indeed. The wife of an MP, not actually the MP. And there's a lot of us like that. And I think that, that therefore you get the type of women who are not devoted to their leader. They are rebels. The women Conservative MPs are more rebels and the male Conservative MPs are more towing the line. And, and of course, uh, coincidentally or not, it, it has been observed that um, several of the countries that have done the, the best against coronavirus, Germany, Angela Merkel, a woman, New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, a woman, Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen, a woman. They all have women leaders. Is it a coincidence? No, I don't think it is a coincidence. And Norway, I would add, too, as well. Yeah. Uh, I think there is a caution about women and an attention to detail. There's less, should we say, sort of buccaneering. And there's less, I think there are less women involved in nationalist politics. Oh, I mean, you look at the big nationalist leaders across the world, like Trump, they tend not to be, although not so true in France, it's true. So these are generalizations. But I think we yeah. should try and learn something from the fact that the women leaders have done so well.
I think one of the unfortunate things is when they do put out a woman's spokesman, they put out Therese Coffee yesterday, and she put she put her foot in a in her mouth straight away, didn't she? So it wasn't exactly great. No, I don't agree with that. I thought she did well yesterday. Uh, you know, the, the, I don't think she really said what is being quoted of her that she was opposing. No, Therese has a PhD herself. She is a smart woman. So I think that I think that she's it's been twisted against. I think she did perfectly well, Therese Coffee. I don't think that. Boris's cabinet is exactly a team of rivals. So I think that you know, some of the women aren't as strong as others. But let me tell you, some of the men aren't as strong as others either. Tell us that story when, when you were a relative newcomer MP and you were waiting in line to see David Cameron when the reshuffle was planned. And some, something slightly revealing happened to you, didn't it? Tell us yes. the story. I was queuing for a pass and I was due at number 10 to find out what I'd been promoted to after the 2015 general election. And I suddenly realised I was going to miss my slot. So I went to the front of the queue and I saw um, Steve Baker and Frank Field. And I said, excuse me, guys, could I just get in front of you? Because I'm going to be late to see David Cameron. And Steve, Steve Baker said, not the cabinet, Amber. And Frank Field said, and why not? Why not? I used to say to Margaret, promote the women. And he said, Margaret said back to me, have you seen my women? And he said, I said back to her, Margaret, I've seen your men. So very telling and supportive from Frank Fields. Yes. Well, now there was a strong woman, Margaret Thatcher, but that's for another day. Amber Rudd, thank you so much for joining us. Huge pleasure, Simon. Thank you. Well, Amanda, too many boys in the cabinet, not enough women in, in, in top jobs. You must be favoured more women in top jobs, Amanda. Of course I am. I, but Amber's really interesting on this because it is true. I mean, proportionally, it's still about the same number of women in the cabinet. But Boris has gone for less impressive women, less experienced women. I mean, why on earth he got rid of Andrea Ledson? I have no idea. Because she was feisty, she was highly regarded, clever, really experienced. And he's kind of filled it up with, with floozies. And I have to say, I don't I agree beg with your that. pardon. You can't <laughs> use that phrase on this program. Floozies. I, look, they're, they're, not they're not significant women. And, and you have someone like, you know, the, we talked about this weeks ago on the show, you know, where are the women? And then up pop Pretty Patel at the weekend doing the evening briefing. And she's, she mucked the whole thing up. Mm. Wrong time. If you, if you look wrong at the... Um, it, everything about it was wrong. And, and, and I'm sorry, but Work and Pension Secretary, Trace Coffey, she dropped the ball. She, because she couldn't do the thing that male politicians are really good at doing. And I wouldn't for a moment generalize this to men and um, all men, but men are better liars. Ooh, and oh. Ouch, that's below the belt. Well, I'm sorry. Is that a good, but is that a good thing or a bad thing in this context? Well, what do you say? In, in, in politics, it's a very useful thing because it means you can dodge the really important questions and you can obfuscate. It's a bit like when your wife comes home and says, right, are you having an affair with your secretary? And you go, oh, no, 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 uh, no, darling. Uh, what's for dinner? Um, I, I know you're upset. Is it that time of month? Um, you're just really stressed out about the children. They, they are fantastic at deferring the truth. And you get someone like Therese who just was honest and said, no. you know, which is going to be proved to be true. And I think, well, I think actually the, the, thing, the, thing, that Amber, the thing that Amber picked up, which I must admit I had not noticed, if you look at the list of countries that have done really well at fighting the virus, uh, Germany, Denmark, New Zealand, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Taiwan, they all have women leaders. I mean, I that, is, that is really striking. It, it, it's, complete, it's totally inexplicable because you have New Zealand, which is a tiny country, although, God, listening to that prime minister, that accent as an Australian, I hate it. Um, 
but she's got a tiny country. It's an island. They close the borders. Germany is a huge country, I think, but the most impressive person in all of this has been Angela Merkel. Huge country, enormous economy, and, you know, her career was on its knees, and now this incredible rebirth. I just don't get it. I just wish she'd buy herself a decent support bra. I think that'll be a suitable note to end on without me commenting. No, no, so, and Simon, I want to ask you... You borrow one of mine. So, <laughs> no, but you've been losing so much weight. Oh, but I want to ask you a serious question. On hold on, we've got to get on the programme. No, this is, no this, program. is part, this is part of the programme. Okay, serious question. Okay. Um, uh, listeners will not realise this, but I used to be Simon's boss. And Simon, what was it like having a woman boss? Uh, well, it wasn't the fact that it was a woman boss, it was the identity of the woman boss that was the problem. <laughs> Lord Chancellor Robert Buckland insists the government is right to say schools should reopen at the start of June. He does not think the teaching unions have the right to keep kids at home. He also reveals secrets of his own COVID-19 keep fit plan and how a glass of his favourite Malbec Argentinian red wine helps him cope with the strain. On June the 1st, are you going to stick to that June the 1st, Robert, or, or, or might that be moved backwards? No, I think we should stick to it. I think we are sticking to it. I think we're seeing that in some settings, people are ready and want to open and we should encourage that. There are some employers, some councils who are uh, concerned and are taking a, a, a different approach. The truth is that the conversations go on. So the education secretary uh, is talking to the unions, he's talking to other employers' bodies and uh, working out the best way forward. We might see a situation where some settings open and others don't. But frankly, that is progress you know um we've already got schools open to deal with ch uh, many children for key workers and vulnerable that's let's not forget the teachers already doing a tremendous job um i think rather than lecturing people and you know threatening government is taking the right approach here by encouraging explaining and also trying to build that as you say that word confidence which is so important not just for teachers and teaching staff but for parents and carers as well now, the unions, a lot of the unions are against this. Do you think the unions who do represent teachers have a right to veto the reopening of schools? No, I don't think anybody has a right to veto anything. Government doesn't have a right to uh, veto, uh, and neither do... Well, they say that some of the union leaders have said, for example, that they don't think it's safe to mark homework. I mean, that sounds daft to me. Well, I, I think, um, like, like any... Body. Teachers unions obviously have a job to do, and I respect that. But um, I think rather than creating obstacles, I think it's important that we all work together in a can-do spirit here. Uh, you know, I've seen the can-do attitude really work well in other spheres of public activity. And let's face it, there are a lot of public service workers and uh, professionals out there putting, putting themselves on the line. Um, I, I think that sort of constructive spirit is one yeah. that I am seeing, actually, in large parts of the education sector. Uh, and, uh, you know, the government is doing its very best to encourage that. I think it's a time to be positive, accentuate the positive. Is it, isn't there just the signs, the first signs of the start of a, of a blame game between the scientists and the politicians? Because your, your colleague, Therese Coffey, looked as though she was pointing <clears throat> the finger of blame giving the government the wrong advice well if this if the science was wrong advice at the time was wrong i'm not surprised if people then think we made a wrong decision but you have to so take judgment based on what you have again 
Yeah, I, I think I'm sure that wasn't her intention. I think the uh, the idea of casting blame is frankly counterproductive and not what the public deserve or need to to, to hear. You know, the, the the thing to blame here is the virus, right? That that's the problem here. It's that silent killer that is so unpredictable, and therefore it's incumbent upon government, scientists, uh, public sector, all of us, business, all of us, to work together to find the quickest solution to this. And I'm getting that sense of you know accentuating the positive, the can-do attitude throughout society. And we're not in the business of blaming people. Uh, you know, there's been a fair amount of finger-pointing at government. Uh, we are responding, I think, in a positive way by uh, seeking to encourage society as a whole to uh, follow the guidance and the directions that we've given. And as we ease our way out of this lockdown, to do so in a safe way that saves lives and means that we can uh, move on to a new phase in our in the life of our country now boris johnson is a man who's proud of his can-do abilities but the the latest poll shows that keir starmer has edged ahead of him in the in the popularity ratings and the the very loyal daily telegraph boris's old paper Mm. said that in last week's prime minister's questions that keir starmer quotes took apart boris johnson like a duplo train set i don't know whether you have a duplo train set but is there some truth in that but I used to have a Duplo train set, but those days are long gone, <laughs> despite the fact I am a bit of a, uh, still a bit of a Lego fan with my son. But I, I think that uh, the truth is that uh, Boris Johnson's been providing the charismatic, inspirational leadership that the country needed. He himself went through this illness. He knows better than most w- how dangerous and unpredictable it is. I can't think of anybody better to lead our country at this time. Uh, we are fortunate to have him. Uh, when I see him, which is regularly, uh, and speak to him remotely as well, uh, I get that sense of can-do and energy that we absolutely need. And I think that, you know, as a lawyer myself, who is well used to the forensic court-like approach of uh, Sakir, which I uh, respect, um, that isn't a substitute for the clear leadership that we are seeing from Boris Johnson. It's actually okay. made, I think, the opposition's job very difficult because every time they ask a question, you know, we, we get the answer and very often they either find themselves in a position where they are inconsistent with what they said only a week or so ago. So, okay, uh, now, Rob, Robert, you've, you've got you've got um, you've got two teenage children, George and Millicent, a wonderful name, Millicent. How, how, how's the Buckland family been coping at home? Any stresses and strains? Well, I think like uh, most families, we've all found lockdown sometimes very frustrating and difficult to uh, to deal with. But we have uh, worked our way through it. Uh, uh, you know, my son has been uh, doing his studies as best he can uh, and having uh, remote uh, calls, etc., from teachers. Uh, my daughter, who has learning difficulties doesn't really understand, I think, why we have to do these things. Uh, and that may leads to frustrations. But, you know, as a family, I think we found in the very little spare time that I have, Simon, a few yes. things to do, whether it's sorting out hanging baskets, just jet washing the patio, something I've been meaning to do for years, uh, clearing out the garage, all the things that I know that families up and down the country have been meaning to do, but now I've had time to do. And I think... Yeah. We've managed to find, you know, ways through this time uh, as constructively as possible. Now, uh, Robert, you're, you're, you're a proud Welshman. You're a great rugby fan. There's no rugby going on, but one of your other great loves is wine. So does, does that mean you've been hitting the plonk in, the, in recent weeks? 
Well, I, I think uh, readers would be glad to know that uh, I do try and avoid um, plonk as much as I can. Uh, and at my age, it should be about quality rather than quantity. What's your favourite? What's your favourite tip? What's your red or white? Which, which oh, well, I like I like a nice glass of red. I quite like those uh, the, the Argentinian Malbecs. They're quite nice and oh, uh, you know enjoying them. a relaxing glass or two. But um, I've also been trying to keep fit as well. Um, oh. I, I yeah, I got Joe, a, bit Joe of a running Wicks, bug a few Wicks, years. Wicks, the Joe Wicks regime. Well, I, I've been, I, I got the running bug a few years ago. I've been doing a local half marathon in Swindon every year for charity. And as a result of that, I now do, a, you know, a 5k or even slightly longer run a couple of times a week just to keep my, 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 my hand in or my leg in, I should say. Um, uh, I think the balance that I get and the, 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 the endorphins and all that, all the release of that is really good for my state of mind. So exercise is really important to me. Amanda, have you been tidying up your hanging baskets or scrubbing the patio? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> Honestly, I have been exercising. In fact, um, I've had two sessions after three months um, on the heath with a proper a friend who's an exercise trainer. And we did this kind of hanging thing from the tree. I mean, you know, not obviously hanging, um, the TRX. And last night, so that was my second, after my second day, I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't move a single muscle in my body and I thought I'd had a stroke, but it was just the exercise. I, I am think, so unfit. I think a glass of Robert Buckland's Malbec wine would probably soothe those pains away. But I wanted to come to the, the, the serious point we discussed about Boris and Keir. Because Keir Starmer's doing quite well. I think Robert put his finger on the difference. He, he sort of said it's, it's Keir Starmer's forensic and Boris Johnson's charismatic, and they're very, very different approaches. And there is an opinion poll today which shows Keir Starmer slightly ahead. For the first time, Boris has got a fight on his hands here, hasn't he? No, I think it's great. Um, and it is true that, that Keir is forensic, he is a ma he's a detail man. Boris is neither of those things. And also, Boris has always been, you know, his appeal was this Churchillian charisma. And we haven't seen it for weeks, Simon. You know, his press conference the other day was flat. You know, if we see him clapping outside number 10, I mean, big deal. Even in Prime Minister's questions, he's just, he's, Boris has lost his sparkle. And with Boris without his sparkle, I know he's been sick and all the rest of it. I know he's got a new baby, but he's not the leader that we expected him to be now. But don't you think that one of the, the, the things that's playing to Keir Starmer's advantage here is that this coronavirus is, is a deadly serious thing. It's not really an issue where you need charisma and it is an issue where you need facts you need accuracy and i think it's where starmer's forensic approach is going to tell and heaven help boris johnson if if the inquiry into this at the end of it all shows the government made mistakes the one person who's going to who's going to skewer him on that is going to be starmer it's very true but the other thing i i think that the absence of boris is starting to get a bit worrying i mean you know we all everybody laughs at donald trump and his malaria drugs but he gives a press briefing every single day that lasts for longer than an hour. We hardly see Boris. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry he's been sick. I'm sorry. And these are, there's nothing you can do about it. But he just ain't the leader that, that we thought he'd be. And, Simon, before we go over to your topical tune from some obscure band I've never heard of, I've got my own and I'm going to sing it, okay? And it's pertinent. You have to guess why it's pertinent. It goes like this. Don't stand, don't stand, 
Don't stand so close to me. Okay, what is it and why is it pertinent? Well, it's, it's by a band called The Police, and from the way you sang it, I'm quite tempted to call a policeman and have you arrested. <laughs> he was a teacher. It's about a teacher. Sting was a teacher. That is absolutely true. And, yes, I get it, social distancing. So what's your offering? My <laughs> offering is Alice Cooper, School's Out. And this was, this, was, this was recorded in 1972 when I think I had just come out of school that year, I think, or the <laughs> year before. So it, it meant a lot to me. And, of course, it, it, it gets us into the big debate, you know, is school going to be in or out? And the whole point of Alice Cooper's song was to celebrate the fact that, you know, the, the greatest moment in your life is when you're out of school in the summer holidays. But, of course, actually that's changed this time. I think a lot of kids will actually be really thrilled when school's in. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us Join us next week for more political chat. <laughs> Is that supposed to be... I haven't got that bit in my script. Okay. That, then... that, was, that was Jacinda Ardern doing an impression of <laughs> Keir Starmer mimicking Amanda Patel. And join us next week for more political chat. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platel. Here we go. Good. Bye. <laughs>